0: I find it very concerning how theatre and live performance is on Netflix now. It is very flattering, very humbling, very rewarding, and on a humane level, on a professional level. It's the marriage between technology and art.
1: Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb.
2: And my name is Anna Aguilera. Today, Omar Makhour shares with us his experiences as a lighting designer.
1: Born into a family of engineers in Cairo, Egypt, Omar developed a passion for movie directing. For this reason, he studied stage acting, wrote a play for his undergrad thesis and started a career as a lighting designer. His designs have been presented in various countries, festivals and venues such as the Wallace Annenberg in Los Angeles, Maxim Gorky Theatre in Berlin, beaux in Brussels, Schubach Festival in London, Decaf in Cairo. UNAM, Mexico City, among others. Credits vary from classical theatre to new works and experimental performance. Selected credits include the West Coast premiere of Young John Lee's We're Gonna Die, the workshop production of Black Like Me, Waiting for Godot, Measure for Measure, and La Princesa, a co-devised piece which won first prize in Art Change US competition. His background in performing and directing and writing has shaped his design process, allowing it to stem from a dramaturgical approach rather than a solely aesthetic one. Omar, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Anna. Thank you, thank you, Anna and Anna, for having <laughs> me on the show.
1: It's easy to remember our names; they're just the same. So, <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so you're currently in Los Angeles, and yeah, um, that is correct. And you do you freelance? Is that how you work? I mean, what what's your sort of day to day work at the moment?
0: <laughs> I go with the flow. So I had a full time job recently, and at the time being, I am freelancing. Uh, I'm about to start the teaching job on a college uh, which uh, it's just one class a semester so that should also allow me to continue freelancing on the side so yeah I've had full-time work I've had freelance phases I've had part-time phases I <laughs> kind of like go with the flow
1: so you started with like movie directing and you started stage acting and all of that so what was the trajectory to lighting design tell us how that worked
0: Funny enough, you know, ever since I was a kid, I kind of knew that I wanted to be in the arts, and I went through stages where, as a kid, I thought I wanted to be a singer. But you, you know, my mom was very uh, honest with me about how she felt about how I how how I sounded when I sang in the house. <laughs> and then there were times when I uh, wanted, I thought I wanted to be an actor, and that stage kind of like lasted for 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 a while. And times when I wanted to write, times when I wanted to direct. So I always knew that I wanted to be in the arts, but never did I think that lighting would be my career and my profession. And I went into lighting in undergrad and the whole time I probably thought that this was going to be like a hobby or something that I like to do on the side. And then after I finished undergrad, I was trying to uh, work as an actor in Egypt, but uh, you know, like all the time people would call me and say, hey, like we're directing a play and we're looking for a lighting designer. And we remember you were good at this and undergrad, would you be interested <laughs> in lighting our play? And, you know, it's a paid job. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, that, that hobby is going to be a paid uh, thing on the side. And even came my life and became my career. And honestly, I, I really, really enjoy it. I'm very, very glad that it did become my, uh, my career.
2: That's kind of fascinating. I wonder if sometimes, like all the kids that we wanted to work in the arts, if we only have a little bit more information, than you know, like <laughs> not the stage careers, there's way more. Because uh, Anna went through the same stuff, so did I?
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that backstage work existed till I pretty much went to university. And uh, I always went on stage, but I, n- I never liked it. I don't know why I continued doing it. But <laughs> 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 so so what what was your like what was your impetus to to leave Egypt like how did you get international work how are you how did you end up in los angeles How did, how did that trajectory happen?
0: Yeah, so I started touring uh, locally then internationally uh, as touring, a lighting designer touring yeah, yeah with theater shows uh, as a lighting designer and an assistant lighting designer and eventually i uh, so I thought, you know, I was really good at lighting, and then I started touring internationally, and I realized that there's so much about lighting that I don't know. I realized that there's uh so much from the technical standpoint as well as the artistic practice that uh, that I didn't, I yeah, I, did, I didn't know about. And I decided, well, maybe it's not a it's not a bad idea to pursue my master's in lighting. I, I've I've been wanting to uh to do my master's in theater but i didn't really know what what specialization would i would i go into because like i said i kept going from acting to directing to writing to you know like all of those different interests in theater and, and uh, at one point i was like well what about this thing that i'm actually making a living off of you know how about i do my master's in it? <laughs> and uh, and i applied to um something called the Earth is, uh, which is a conference essentially where you uh, submit your uh, your application and uh, multiple grad schools who participate at the Earth is, they get to see your portfolio. So, Uh, you travel to Chicago and you do uh, kind of like a speed dating sort of uh, grad school interviews. So you have a desk, you set up your portfolio, people, uh, or like by people, I mean, professors uh, from uh, all the participating schools in that year, Uh, they go around and they sign up on your desk to interview you. And we do like quick 20 minute interviews throughout the day. And you continue the conversation online and, and you find the, the good fit for you and uh and i uh i i was one of the very lucky people i got interviews by 20 something universities that day and uh and eventually i went with cal Arts. uh they were uh they were definitely on my top uh schools in 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 that year and i uh i was very happy that i was also a candidate of interest for them
1: that's really cool and, and exactly.
0: that's how I ended up and that's how I ended up in Los Angeles. So yeah. Yeah.
1: And you're still there.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And I am still here. I thought I was gonna be in New York after I graduated but then a pandemic happened. So <laughs>
1: Yeah Yeah. No, that's great. And so when you're what's your when you go into a lighting design, like what's your what's your process? Tell us how where do you start um, when when you're working on a project when it comes to the creative process.
0: Yeah it it depends on the project i would say i i really given that i come from a background of of uh, performance or uh, or writing um i really do like to work from um a dramatic or a dramaturgical uh starting point you know i try to find uh, i try to find a common ground in the conversation that, between my visual process my design process and the director and the playwright and the actors what you know what conversations they are having and how can my design enhance that product that they are trying to produce so uh, funny enough when i was in egypt i used to refer to myself as a techie i used to be like oh i'm a techie you know like i'm I'm, I'm the school guy who sits in the dark and presses buttons and uh, on fancy machines and whatnot but uh part of grad school for me was enhancing my artistic skills and enhancing my artistic voice and becoming an artistic collaborator uh, with the other designers, with the director, and not be uh, so much of a techie. So <laughs> uh, I, I always try for this to be my, uh, my processes, to, uh, be, to be completely collaborative, not be afraid to uh, go for something simple because the actors are doing a lot of the heavy lifting or the script is doing a lot of the heavy lifting it's like a very uh, vulnerable moment and you know we don't want a bunch of flash and trash and colors and and effects and all of that and then there are other times when when you do need this uh, flashy flashy fancy looking design but yeah being able to uh, fine tune my artistic voice is uh, is, I think, the one thing that I try to continue to have as the the soul of my work, if that makes sense.
2: <laughs> totally. And and you talk. Uh, I think I was on your website that you mentioned about abstract storytelling, and I think uh, light is probably one of the best ways to to do so. But I wonder what exactly do you mean by that and what does it mean yeah
0: what does it mean to you? it's so so like I find that lighting lighting is just a visual way of painting right it's uh it's not gonna tell the story in the sense that it's gonna give you a narrative of beginning middle and end the same way that words can give you that I mean yes of course it can give you some sort of structure throughout the uh, performance, but uh but not 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 in the same way that words can and I don't think it should aim to provide meaning in the same way that uh that literal formats can. And um and therefore I, I feel like uh thinking of of my lighting design as kind of like an abstract painting that uh, supports and holds the storytelling is probably the best I can provide to uh, to a performance. Also, I am interested in performance that raises questions as opposed to give answers. You know, I'm not interested in a theater that tells us how to live our life and, uh, you know, where the protagonist wins and the antagonist dies. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I I think stories that tend to raise questions, that tend to make the audience uncomfortable, that tend to push the audience to think and to leave the theater wondering about something, or going home and being like, you know what, I want to Google that thing. You know, that kind of performance is the is the kind of performance that I that I really uh, like to be a part of. So yeah, it's uh, not interested in t- in telling stories that tie the knot essentially and uh and give us uh, g- give us peace of mind
1: <laughs> I like that I think you know I often sort of ask myself whether our theatrical arts are a reflection of culture or whether they drive culture right and I think the only way it, if you're driving culture it's doing what you're doing it's to provoke and to uh agitate um the audience to think or to work Although. The, there's not always the platform to for people to want to come to see that kind of work, right? So it's always we we usually get into this injury we, industry because we want to move people and um, just reflecting society back to them, like you said, tying the knots and 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 a, a nice easy story isn't isn't necessarily doing that. You've got to really push the boundaries and and that's the challenge in theater arts is you've you've got to push the boundaries but get people to come. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially because we are already competing. Uh, so in live performance, I feel like we are already competing with streaming platforms, where you know you get the comfort of choosing between hundreds and hundreds of of uh, comfort drama that you can watch at the comfort of your living room uh couch and eating your comfort food and all of that and then (laughs) and then you're competing with that trying to tell you no like leave leave your house get into a car or uh, pay money to come watch a show that's gonna make you uncomfortable
2: so
1: (laughs) yeah do you think that that's that's just going to be get, get getting harder and harder, you know, because I think that that kind of entertainment is becoming easier and easier on demand, right? So, how do, how do we continue to get people to theater and and bums in seats essentially?
0: That's a great question, and I wish I had the answer to it. I don't know how we can compete with that accessible entertainment industry that is uh, TV and and platforms <clears throat> but I I will tell you that it makes me very nervous when I see theater or live performance right now uh, and by right now I mean at a time when the pandemic is kind of, it Has. didn't finish but you know kind of like yeah in a way and allow and we're allowed to have uh, performances again but then you kind of see directors and choreographers uh, going in the direction of making their performances accessible on on the internet. This kind of concerns me because I think about <coughs> a theater in Egypt uh, and in the 1970s and 70s and pretty much the second half of that. Uh, of the 20th century theater was uh recorded and televised and over generations people just stopped going to theater people stopped leaving their house and going to the theater to watch plays and um like when i was in uh in living in egypt and i was doing theater there was a time when i had a, a day job in uh, in uh in like a tv company and uh, it was just you know like something to get some steady income coming in and uh, i remember telling a colleague of mine at the company that yeah i'm taking some days off because i'm touring with with a show internationally and uh, and he said oh will that show happen in egypt as well and i said yes it, it, it is happening in egypt actually nowadays and he asked me what tv channel is it airing on and I was like, no, it's a theater piece. And he was like, yeah, but like, which TV channel is producing it or which TV channel is here? And I'm like, no, 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 it's a performance piece where you go and, and he was like, oh, oh. And it was, it was, you know, like a moment of, oh, do these still even exist?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I find it very concerning how, how theater and live performance is on Netflix now.
1: Mm.
2: Well, but on the other hand, like I, I see it like I like symphonic orchestras a lot. And in the city where I grew up, there wasn't one. There is one now, but there wasn't for the first 20 years of my life. So does that mean that I don't get to listen to symphonic orchestras? Because I could because of TV, internet and the radio. Yeah, no, that, that's that's
0: a great point. Is is there is definitely a reason, and making it accessible uh, is certainly valid enough reason for it to be documented and made available online. But uh, I, mean, I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just saying that there is one part of the world where I come from where unfortunately. Like I said, you know, like just people stop going to theater and people stopped producing theater. It became produced only for TV and uh, and that factor, you know, like you you start dealing with TV censorship and political censorship, and you start dealing with a, a producer who was an advertiser who bought some commercial time during that uh, airing schedule, and it just becomes a completely different art form. Uh, and yeah, there is. It's much more complicated than what I'm trying to say. And yes, you are correct that there is a reason.
1: No, but it's a good example, you know, having given that because I'd not obviously I didn't know that, and so that is a kind of a warning sign to see that too much of that could result in it not happening live. And and that's that's an interesting thing to consider when we're thinking about like we we love to hear those those viewpoints from the people we speak with around the world because it helps form a vision of what's going on you know so in how is it in California I mean is there a lot of experimental theatre do people go to it is that what you sort of end up working on mostly around the around that locally how is the scene there
0: so i uh, i graduated in may 2020 which was <laughs> just a couple months into the pandemic and of course there was no live performance at all at the time being and uh, eventually i found myself going into uh, the museum world actually and i uh, was working at a museum for a couple of years until very recently you know like i'm i'm still kind of like finding my area of of uh, of life in, in california where i'm working where i'm working the most i think uh, so far i've done uh, a bunch of uh dance shows with uh, independent uh, companies and yeah st- still kind of like trying to find out where i fit uh in in the in the life performance scene in los angeles i will say that it given the fact that uh los angeles and california is kind of like really spread out makes the community the theater community and the dance community uh kind of like somewhat scattered uh, as opposed to in cities like new york or in cairo or in london or in berlin where uh it's geographically much more contained and you run into people all the time and you you know go to watch a show and then you run into five people who you know uh at, um, at the show, and then after the show, at a nearby restaurant or bar, or or, uh, and then from there, also that uh, shapes the the community that you work with. That shapes where where and who you work with. Uh, so I I feel like I haven't established this yet in Los Angeles, even though I've been here for for long enough. But yeah, I guess it's part of the process. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. It, as, we, as we've said a, a couple of times today, that uh, the industry that we work in is not linear; it doesn't go in a straight line. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely, definitely not. definitely not. When you
1: said you did museum work, was that would you do lighting stuff within the museum work, or was it something different?
0: Yeah, lighting. So I uh, I was working as uh, as a lighting technician, and then eventually got promoted to a lighting designer uh, with a museum uh, here in Los Angeles, and then uh, eventually got. Uh, another full-time work opportunity which unfortunately didn't uh, happen even though I had left the museum uh, job for for that full-time opportunity Uh, so this is how I kind of like ended up going back into the freelance world but uh, but yeah museum world was was also interesting because in uh, in live performance you are dealing with Uh, with human beings who are moving around and all of that. In in the museum world, you're dealing with artwork that is years and years old, and uh, it's static. So uh, it's static, but it also has... character and it has history in it and you have to consider very different things you have to consider oh you know like how old is this piece of art uh how much light can i expose it to because uh you know too much light can make the artwork degrade and and yeah like you start you start dealing with with things and what the material is you know like is it made of paper paint uh, something else so um Completely different experience, I have to say.
2: Yeah, sounds really exciting.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, I, that sounds like something. Up, you're Anna, Ali, Anna. it's there's such a there's such a like you said, just there's such a nature in which the way you have to handle art artworks from, you know, theater in comparison is very um, rough and tumble compared to museum work, which is like delicate yeah, delicate work, right? Like. And so, actually, out of interest, then maybe a technical question i mean what is the is there a standard of like light that should be put on um the artwork and and what is that level and then is it like should only be exposed to a certain amount of light per day like what what's the rules roughly
0: yeah, so what i what i what I came to learn is that the it varies from the conservation department, kind of like varies from one museum to the other. But in most, mu- you know, like in some museums, they are super strict. In, in other museums, they can be slightly more lenient. Uh, I guess it also depends on the artwork. But essentially, yes, you uh, you can only use LEDs uh, on, on artwork. So from a theater world where most of the time the uh, equipment is incandescent fixtures that heat up and uh, and you know be here like 200 watts or something and it's an incandescent bulb that does not uh, that is no, is no longer really used in in the museum world not acceptable it's, any. Uh, it's yeah, exactly. It, uh, you can't expose the artwork to heat. You can't expose the artwork to uh, something very bright. You can't expose the artwork to UV light. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> for instance, you can't have, uh, again, it depends on the material that the artwork is made of, but ideally, you don't want to expose the artwork to sunlight, for instance, to daylight, because there's UV lights in it. Conservation teams, they typically go around and measure. Uh, uh, the light uh, uh, that's hitting how many foot candles are hitting the the artwork and uh, they would flag if something is is over the foot candle uh, requirement. Sometimes uh, even the loan agreement uh, would say in the contract you cannot go over a certain uh, amount of foot candles so uh, regardless of the artistic well i don't want to say regardless of the artistic intent let me actually rephrase that let me say that it, it becomes just another artistic challenge <laughs> uh, so so everyone yeah typically everyone involved wants to uh present the artwork in the nicest way and the most elegant way and uh, part of that is always lighting so it's just a question of making sure that this artwork stays for as long as it uh, it possibly can.
1: And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools, from the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages, working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N-floors.com.
2: I want to go back a little bit to your time in Egypt and your experiences in Egypt and how did you end up touring and um, yeah, like how is it like today? Like one or at least personally I hear about precisely museum world and cultural heritage and like architectural stuff or or more like anthropological stuff, but it's uh, not often that we get to hear about the, the performing arts. That's, I guess, one question. And the other one, I was like thinking when you were talking about your work with light that you come, we're assuming as uh, being Arabic, your your native language, is it?
0: Yeah, yet? yeah, yeah. correct.
2: It's a, it's a language where literature and storytelling are so important. And how do you translate, like, the actual story is very important, the, the, what you were saying about being able to tell the story with words. And then you branch out completely and go into light to tell stories that are not concrete, that are completely abstract. And how does that play in your head, you know, like coming from this very poetic n- to this more poetic but more abstract uh, storytelling, I guess two different questions have a, whatever you want to answer it's fine
0: yeah um, so the one about the language and uh, going from something completely literal to something completely abstract, you know i think I think it's it, 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 so far as long as i've as long as I've been in communication with with the director or with the playwright about what it is that what story are we are we trying to tell, I think I've found it easy to kind of like translate this into something visual into something um that can. Like I said, be a visual container for uh, for the story. Uh, so, for instance, I remember <coughs> there was a play that I worked on at um, at Arts. It was uh, it was called uh, Black Like Me, and it was so Black Like Me was was a real story of of a of a white journalist in the '60s who uh, <coughs> started traveling around the South of the United States. He died his skin black and started touring, well, sorry, traveling around the south of the United States, uh, pretending to be a black man, and um, and he wrote uh, articles about about that quote-unquote experiment, what he referred to as an experiment, and uh, claiming to understand what it's like to be a black man in the United States back then and uh, and then those articles were put together into a diary or a book that was published and it was actually made into a movie and uh and uh, then an an artist friend of mine a director and a playwright uh, his name is Monty Cole he uh, decided to put this to kind of like make this book into a play and he uh, as a black artist cast a black ensemble and a big part of 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 the production was how can they take ownership over telling this story you know like this story that is a story of the the black community in the south of the united states being told by a white man back then how can it be retold from the point of view of of the black ensemble of of actors and writers and performers and and that agency, uh, that question of agency uh, translated very quickly through conversations with the director to what about if we have lighting fixtures that you can take out they're kind of like mounted they're part of the scene and the actors can take them out and they can literally shine the light on a scene like they can kind of like design the, the the scene and we worked during the rehearsals uh on on what that meant for very specific moments and uh and from you know, like from there, it's uh, yeah, like uh, that that design idea kind of like became, uh, like I said, a visual container for uh, for that storytelling idea, that agency of of the, uh, the black ensemble telling their own stories as opposed to the white man telling their story. So um, there are examples like this, you know, that as long as there is a clear uh way of communicating and uh and brainstorming with with the design team it, it the the ideas and the, these you know quote-unquote abstract design narratives uh, uh come very genuinely and very smoothly uh very quickly it, it doesn't it doesn't become um an added part or, or a performance of its own. No, it's something that is integrated. Um, and then there are, there are other times when, when communication is, is not uh, as, as great and as uh, fruitful. And uh, I kind of like to do my best then to, uh, to stay true to, uh, to the story that we're trying to tell with, with, with my design and with my abstractions. Well, sorry, what was the second
1: question?
2: <laughs> the other question was about uh, you touring in Egypt and um, the performing arts uh, in Egypt, that it's not something I personally hear about very often. Um,
0: it's, I, I'd say, the the theater scene in Egypt and the performance scene in Egypt has kind of become divided into a very commercial uh kind of performance scene uh, which uh, probably has to do with the fact that uh like I said you know there there isn't a heavy there isn't heavy traffic of audience going to the theaters and to the venues so you have the commercial theater which is funded by TV in a way, and then you have the very independent uh, underground theater scene, which is a bunch of poor artists uh, putting on uh, political productions and uh, the same audience keeps going on to those performances, which is uh, unfortunate that it's such a small, you know, like really the, uh, the best way for that Underground scene to uh, survive is to uh, pre- get have their work presented in festivals, especially international festivals, and and uh, and tour uh, abroad. And this is actually like this is how I made a living for a couple of years in Egypt, as I used to tour with uh, with shows to Europe, get paid in euros, come back to Egypt, uh, <laughs> transform those euros into Egyptian pounds. And you know, like working for ten days in Europe, I would come back and I have enough money for about a couple months because of the cur- because of the currency rate. So these are the the two performance scenes uh, that currently strongly exist in Egypt. Uh, needless to say, I belong to uh, to the poor artists who. <laughs> Who would uh, try to work abroad to make a living? That's that definitely that's not to say that there is some good art uh, sometimes and and good artists in the commercial side. But again, it's TV funded. It's uh, it's subject to censorship and other political um, aspects of the of the process. Mm-hmm.
1: That's totally what I used to do in Australia. I used to do a few corporate gigs to pay the bills and then go do the artistic yeah. projects as well that fed my soul, yeah. you know. I, I think I have one more question before we ask our last couple of questions, but the um, it's really interesting to me that you worked on a project like Black Like Me and you're talking about um, art as a political tool, but the three of us on this podcast are not, none of us are American, right? So how does it feel coming from, you know, you've come from your culture and now you're mounting quite probably what is a bit of a political statement that one black like me how it, is it does that um is it you getting on board about that are you are you wanting to push your own sort of vision for stuff and 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 actually did black like me was that received well or how did it go
0: Yeah, I think it was received well uh, and um and also, I know that uh, Monty, the director and the playwright, he, uh, he had uh, another uh, kind of like version of it done uh, on on Zoom during the pandemic, uh, which unfortunately I couldn't attend. Uh, and I, I believe he's still working on it. Uh, so uh, the production was, was, was very well received. But yeah, you're asking a very, very important question is um, being in the U.S., which is a country that has immigrants from very different uh, backgrounds and very different uh, experiences and trying to get together as artists and put together work that is relative to some of us but very foreign to other co- uh, collaborators. I think that's a very interesting question. It's it's a very... Um, it's a very good lesson in uh, learning when to speak and when to uh, when to listen and and learn and very good uh, exercise in in understanding history from the point of view of people who are more directly related to a certain story you know as opposed to. Learning about it from from the internet or from books or from um, documentaries, Uh, kind of like listening to different uh, artists who come to the table and say, okay, I have the story that I want to tell and I'm inviting you to collaborate with me. It is very flattering, very humbling, very... uh, very rewarding, very, very, very rewarding on a human on a humane level, on a professional level, and yeah, it's, I think I think it's always um, uh, kind of like an honor. You know, like I know this might sound a little dramatic, but uh, but it is kind of like an honor uh, to uh, be a part of of, uh, of delivering. A certain part of history, or a certain, uh, or shedding the light on uh, on a certain uh, atrocity that took place in a certain time, a certain uh, location, where I personally am not uh, related to in a direct way. But yeah, yeah exactly. But
1: um, no, but I think it, you know, because like, it's 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 kind of like a, a weird dichotomy. But the, the, I understand, especially with this play, it's... It, it's like they're they're saying it's my story to tell, right? So, and that's a fair thing to say as, as a black person in America. But at the same time, from a creative lens, to have somebody like you in the process to go—not um, that you can identify with the story, but maybe from an outsider's point of view, I don't understand what you're saying here, or what are we really trying to say? And from a creative path perspective, making sure that that message is perhaps communicated to people who are not from that that world right so it's it's just a weird weird thing to play with but it's good like that you've been in that you were involved with that and I think that's more internet or more perspectives on local political issues from wherever that comes from can only bring perspective sometimes I think right to 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 an issue and that's really the only way you're going to change it if if other people if everybody's involved in that discussion you know
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah.
1: So what's your favorite thing about your job as a lighting designer?
2: You know, I, th-
0: I think it's it's the marriage between technology and art, honestly. As someone who is uh, kind of like a tech geek and someone who's fascinated with, uh, with technology and then kind of like getting to utilize this heavy uh, equipment and a very advanced and sophisticated technology to make, Something very intangible, extremely intangible, <laughs> yet extremely uh, effective, and can touch the soul in a very beautiful way. I think. I think that's the. I think that's the beauty of uh, of being a lighting designer. I want to say, among other things, but that's that's the thing that I consider the most beautiful.
2: I like it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm very curious about your work as well. I'd love to see it. Um, Thank you,
0: Anna. I'll, I'll invite it, you. I'll make sure to uh, <laughs> to, extend, to extend invitations for the next uh, production.
2: Maybe one online. Or maybe one whenever yeah. I'm back in LA. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what's uh, the one thing you'd change about either the industry or your job?
0: <laughs> um, about the industry, uh, maybe, maybe the fact that uh, I, I don't know how I would change it, but, but maybe the fact that it, it is financially very challenging uh, at, at many times to, uh, to you know to kind of like sustain yourself working in theater. Uh, one hundred percent. I think if I can change that, I would one hundred percent do it uh, without hesitation. Uh, how or or what change what the change would entail? I have no idea to be honest, <laughs> but uh, that's definitely something that I would love to uh, to change uh, about the industry, about lighting in specific, I would say um, uh, involving uh, lighting designers at the very last minute is sometimes uh challenging because you know you're there after the set construction ideas have been finalized and uh, maybe even construction started or maybe even kind of like close to being finished and uh, and you're like well you know we could have integrated lighting in the scenic we could have we could have done all of those uh, cool ideas um, or at least some cool ideas uh in uh, in the process and had fruitful conversations, but unfortunately, sometimes letting designers get hired just days before uh before tech.
1: Yeah, that's a it's a good point, especially on the yes. lower budget ones where they can't afford to bring in people earlier, and then you miss out on the yeah. opportunities. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. either that, or then we have to make something fit in the scenery that like. Oh, we need to make this picture fit in this dictionary that wasn't designed to have this fitting inside or yeah. things like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally like that. Yeah. So where do um how do people find you? You got website, a contact, follow you on Instagram. <laughs> how, if people want to know more, where do they, where do they find that?
0: Yeah, I have a website and I have an Instagram account. My website is uh, omarmodkour.com, uh, omarmadkou com, And uh, my Instagram is uh, Motkur. so it's at O-M-A-R-B-M-A-D-K-O-U-R.
1: Awesome. We'll put that on the, um, on the description of the podcast so people can find you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Omar, for hanging out with us today. It's been really a pleasure to hear about your work and life in California and I, I wish you the best for picking up those projects over there.
0: Thank you, Anna, and I appreciate you inviting me.
2: Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only thirty-eight US dollars per year.